basketball fans back with you guys thank you for uh checking in live with me all of you basketball heads uh you know what this is unless you've been living under a rock takes take i like to call it the best the most educational the most informational basketball content in the form of a podcast make sure that you go and subscribe 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 i can't stress it enough that is essentially like the word of the day the word of the the week the word of the month the word of the year of 2021 and happy 2021 to everybody out there um go make sure that you can find anywhere that you find uh your favorite podcast that's itunes google Podcasts, red circle spotify stitcher streaming live as well on facebook and streaming live as well on youtube make sure that you go and give a follow at takes take hoops that's t-a-t-e-s T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S, hashtag per usual, where basketball lives. Now, I know that I mentioned to some people we're going to have some really awesome guests coming up. A lot of people have been asking me about what's going on in college basketball, specifically the Big 12. A lot of people have been asking quite a bit about uh, the Atlanta Hawks and what's been happening around the landscape of that particular franchise. So we're going to get into that one first. We'll get into Fran Fraschilla a little bit later. We got him coming up at 8 o'clock in the next uh i guess what is that uh 25 minutes 25 30 minutes or so but first i want to bring in somebody that means a dear a dear bit to me that's for sure uh and uh i, I couldn't be happier to bring this guy on a little bit more nervous than i am for having anybody else on uh this guy is a, a really good friend of mine obviously a really huge uh, uh and really hard worker rather uh and he's just meant a significant amount to me and my career giving me some different opportunities that i've had with the hawks and college basketball and other places so i want to be able to bring him in so that people can get an idea of who he is that is none other than my good buddy mike conti who's joining us now in the locker room the award-winning tv and radio sportscaster atlanta hawks commentator for WC, uh, WZGCFM Sports Talk Radio 92.9 The Game and the Atlanta Hawks Radio Network. Mike, thanks for joining me, man, especially such last minute uh, notice. How are you? And the draft night co-host of Deshaun yeah. Tate on oh, 92.9 geez, no. The Game's draft night coverage. <laughs> that, that, I think, should be first and foremost as far as I'm concerned. Don't oversell it, Mike. Don't oversell. No, I'm just happy. It's to good it. stuff. I, I love chopping this up with you, man. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm just really happy to uh, have you on, and and obviously uh, being in this position to be able to welcome you onto the show. And obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the Atlanta Hawks. First of all, let me say this. Over, let me see what shoulder is it. Over this shoulder, as you can see, my Michigan oh, State that, basketball. That looks familiar. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mike Conti gave me that as a uh, as a gift, an autographed basketball by Tom Mizzo. So you guys know, if it's a house fire, I'm not sure who's all listening, <laughs> but if there's a house fire, you better believe that's the first thing I'm going to. Um, I want to ask you about uh, obviously with the Atlanta Hawks, this being a team that started out three and zero. They won their four of their first five games. Uh, gained quite a little bit of national attention early, then three consecutive losses to teams that didn't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Why and how exactly did that transform? Yeah, I, I think they were really three different situations. And honestly, Tate, I, I think we've underestimated Cleveland and the Knicks a little bit. Uh, you know, we'll get into what happened last night with Charlotte in a second. I really like the Knicks a lot. Uh, Julius Randle's gone crazy. I think Tom Thibodeau is the right guy for that team. Uh, and I think the Knicks now are five and three. So I, I don't really think of that as a quote-unquote bad loss. Cleveland, Tate, you know Sexton always seems to dial it up when he faces Trey. 
just kind of happens. Hawks are on the second half of the back-to-back. They were clearly fatigued, clearly out of gas after getting in at 3 in the morning for Brooklyn. Remember, these guys had not had a back-to-back since, I think, February 27th of 2020. So you're talking about almost a full Mm -hmm. calendar year. So the Cleveland thing, that's legs. I, I take nothing from that. You know, the Knicks game, the second unit killed them. And, you know, that's been a big point of discussion. What, what's gone wrong with the second unit? The Hawks supposedly have all this depth. Why is the second unit struggling? Well, the second unit really is barely able to play right now. Rondo's been out. And I think you've seen a real drop-off when Rondo has not played or in games where he has played where he comes out. I just think there's a drop-off. The offense seems to, to move pretty efficiently with him. And, and defensively, I think there's been a pretty clear drop-off, too. That's not an indictment of Trey. It's just, you know, Rondo's a better defender than Trey, and that that's totally fine. Uh, but you haven't had Gallinari. You haven't had Dunn. You haven't had Snell. You haven't had a Conglu. Arguably, their three best defensive players have been unavailable. Bogdanovich has been very disappointing. Um, so you, your second unit really let you down against the Knicks. That allowed New York to to kind of claw back into the game. And then I wonder maybe if Lloyd Pierce stuck with that second unit a little too long where when the first group came back in, there was almost this panic and they, they got out of their offense. That's something Kevin Herter talked about a little bit on Tuesday, how they may have panicked and gotten out of their offense a little bit and just settled for some some quick threes, and they got very, very cold. You know, last night against Charlotte, I guess in a way it's encouraging that, um, you know, you came back from 24 down to take a lead of the fourth quarter. And, Tate, you know, when you get into a big deficit hmm. and you finally get over that hump and get that lead, I you see it all the time how you've expended so much energy to get back in the game. Once you finally get that lead, it can go away very, very quickly. You also had this really kind of odd, peculiar night from Trey mm-hmm. where he, he only took nine shots, which mm-hmm. is, I looked it up, the fourth lowest shot total of his career in any game. He only had seven points, first time in more than a calendar year where he's been under 10 points in a game where he has not gotten hurt. Uh, I mean, crossing the half-court line and just passing and standing at half-court all night. So um, I I don't know what was happening there. You know, Lloyd Pierce said it it had a lot to do with defense and they were face-guarding Trey and blitzing him and Terry Rozier and all that. But I think we saw that when Trey uh, is passive in the offense, then the Hawks, they're going to struggle a little bit to find – uh, a secondary score. Now, John Collins did a pretty good job, and Herter did an excellent job off the bench. Mm-hmm. But it was just a really, really weird night. So three very different situations, Tate. I think the the loss that may have been the most alarming of the three was to the Knicks, but the Knicks are five and three. So is it really that bad of a loss? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, very improved Knicks team, to say the least. And obviously, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, a rookie out of Kentucky, has been playing really well. I mean, who wouldn't want to have an energy player like a Mitchell Robinson on their roster Mm. and everything that he brings for them? Who's the team uh, or who's the player, rather, on this team that's like, you know what? We're we're 0-3 since winning four of our first five. Like, I'm fed up. I've had enough. I refuse to kind of allow a downward trend, if you will. We've kind of come too far. Who is it or who should it be? 
as far as who may be playing their way out of the rotation. Or just someone that's just coming out of that timeout, out of that huddle, and just saying, you know what, we we, we can't afford these type of losses or to these type of teams. If we're going to compete, then oh. we, we have to – everybody just come with me on the floor if you're ready to go to war. Who is that okay. player? Yeah, sorry, T. Yeah, understood. No, it's okay. It, sh- it should be Trey Young, right? Uh, it should mm-hmm. be. I don't think it was on, on Wednesday, but it should be. Um, Boy, that's a really, really good question. And I don't know if that player has emerged yet. I think it could potentially be DeAndre Hunter. Um, but I I think, you know, the, the one thing I'll say about DeAndre is you don't see hesitancy for him to take three-pointers in big moments. And that's a good sign. And he's improved his three-point percentage. I think his defense has taken a leap, too. But that, that's a, a big ask of DeAndre Hunter to be that guy in that leadership role in his second year. I think Cam Reddish has a fearlessness that might make him fit for the role that, that you're discussing as well. But ultimately, it has to be Trey. Um, you know, if you're down by two in the final seconds and you need someone to take a shot to, to tie or win the game, it's got to be your best player. And that best player is Trey Young. And, and by the way, I, I think... Trey will continue to be that guy for the Hawks. I think Wednesday was just a really, really weird night. Yeah, I agree with you on it. Uh, Should being Trey Young as well, but obviously having some help and guys having the same types of mentalities that he have and not wanting to, you know, go about losing games. Not that anybody wants to lose them on purpose, but just that putting a little bit more emphasis and urgency on coming away with uh, adding a number to the left side of the result column. I've been the person, Mike, that, uh, has said that the fans should have low expectations. Okay. To me, that's, it's just hard to disappoint that way. Uh, the also because the Hawks are not, you know, at the top of the list of being teams that are known to exceed expectations based on that anyway, uh, see last year, if you will, uh, what should the fan bases expectations be realistically for this year? Um, yeah, I, I think play in round which would be 7th through 10th in the East. Uh, And I think that's based on what we've seen so far in the Eastern Conference. You know, Toronto's not going to be at the bottom of the East all year. I think Washington will get better, too. I think you've had a couple teams, maybe the Knicks, maybe the Cavaliers, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. even the Magic, uh, and the Fultz injury kind of comes into play with this, too. You've seen now a couple teams may have overachieved. I think the Hawks, I mean, if they're a 500 ball club this year, that that's a good year for them. And that's mm-hmm. going to have them in the play-in round, 7 through 10. Uh, this is going to require some patience. And I, I think one of the, um, I guess, unintended consequences of starting the season 3-0 and and 4-1 and with a really good win at Brooklyn um, yes. a week ago Friday is it's jacked expectations up to a level that might not be fair and might not be aligned with reality for this team right now. Because the bottom line is, you're still a really young team. Your starting group is very, very young. You've got a third-year player, a fourth-year player, two second-year players, and Clint Capella, who just got here. And by the way, I think Capella has... Uh, absorbed this Hawk system a lot faster than I thought he would to be. So that's a credit to Capella. That's a good sign. But you've got a very, very young starting group that's still developing, still maturing. And you have a second unit that just can't stay healthy right now. So you you were hoping that you would be one of the deeper teams in the league, but that depth has been tested in a way that I don't think you foresaw. And 
you know, you start to wonder a little bit, okay, if they're resting Rondo now, right at the beginning of the season for knee soreness, how many games are you going to expect Rondo to play? Are you expecting mm-hmm. Chris Dunn to play at all this year? Are you expecting Aneka Okongwu to play at all this year? You know, mm-hmm. You're talking about really, really important defensive players right now where the Hawks yes, need a are. point in the offseason to get better defensively. So I think this is going to be a roller coaster. I think there's going to be a lot of highs like we saw last Friday in Brooklyn. I think we're going to have a lot of lows like we saw last night against Charlotte. In the end, if this team comes out of it 500 and in the play-in round, I, I think that's that's where I would align my expectations as a fan. Anything over that, six and above in the East, uh, would be a major, major um, excess of expectations as far as I'm concerned. Sure thing. we got Mike Conti joining us. Make sure I want to mention award-winning TV Stop. and radio sportscaster. No, I got to do, do my part. Uh, and Atlanta Hawks commentator for WCGC. Uh, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, also for the Atlanta Hawks Radio Network. Make sure you go and give him a follow at Mike Conti 929. That is at Mike Conti 929. Mike, one of the names that you mentioned uh, just a minute ago was Clint Capella. Finally getting a chance to see him on a fairly consistent basis in a Hawks uniform who's been doing a phenomenal job in the rebounding department specifically. Uh, Maybe not so much a grade to give, but what exactly has he brought to the table that this team may have been missing from last season. And is this the kind of contribution uh, that he has kind of lived up to that, that, that we can expect from him going forward? So he absolutely has given them the rebounding help that they needed uh, because that was a glaring weakness last year. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that John Collins missed 25 games. And a lot of mm-hmm. it had to do with the fact that you couldn't center, settle on a starting center. It'd be Alex Len, it'd be Bruno Fernando. Uh, you traded for Dwayne Dedman, but he didn't play very much because the mm-hmm. pandemic hit right after the trade. So Capella has solved all those rebounding problems. Second, in the, as as of our speaking tonight on Thursday, second in the league in rebounding, second in offensive rebounding, which is really, really critical. Uh, second in rebound percentage, second, I think, in defensive rebound percentage, too. So really, really, really good signs there. Um probably not getting quite the degree of rim protection that you hope for, but I, I think there's still a, I think that's matchup dependent. And I think B there, there's still time for that to evolve. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Capella's not going to be a focal point in the half court offense. Sure. I don't think, I don't think they're going to run sets for Clint Capella, uh, especially when you have John Collins, who's a really rangy athletic four. I, I don't think they're going to run sets for Clint Capella. He's not someone who's going to stretch anyone out to the three-point line, but that's okay. I I don't think he's here for that. I think he's quite simply here to get you rebounds, and he's absolutely doing the job. This is, I think, Tate, what the Hawks kind of hoped for when they had Dwight Howard, but they didn't have a a competent point guard to pair with him. Okay. Uh, Now you've got that, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you would have had Trey Young – five years ago, or I don't know, maybe four years ago. I forget now. It's been so long. And Dwight, you know, that team might have been a top four team in the East, second round team. Uh, You know, Dwight barely played in the playoff series against Washington as a result. Now I think you have a younger, more durable, more athletic, better teammate in Clint Capella than maybe you had in Dwight Howard. 
Let me ask you this, Mike, uh, in terms of, and maybe you can fill in the blank for me. We know that they, that the Hawks have two more Eastern conference games coming up before they get on the road for their three game West coast road trip. Uh, those two games being at Charlotte uh, this weekend and a home game against Philadelphia. If the Hawks do blank, they can kind of give themselves some confidence, if not nothing else, entering that three-game West Coast road trip, which, by the way, at Phoenix, at Utah, and at Portland. What is that blank? If they do blank, then they can be successful on their three-game West Coast road trip. They need to split. I think it's really, really important they split. If they go into that West Coast trip on a five-game losing streak, then doubt really, really starts to creep in, especially – when you look at the teams you lost to, that'd be two losses to the Hornets, a loss to the Knicks, a loss to Cleveland. And again, I'm I'm rather bullish on Cleveland and New York. I think they're better than people give them credit for. But sure. you know, four of those five games, you would say the Hawks were favored to win going yes. into them. Uh, certainly in terms of talent, the Hawks were the better team in four of those five games. And I think it's even a little bit debatable in that Philadelphia game. But Philadelphia is playing so well right now. So the Mm -hmm. Hawks need to get a split. What do they need to do to get that split, though? You know, they need to to get guys back. Uh, And unfortunately, Rondo's not going to be back in this next two-game span. Gallinari's not going to be back in this next two-game span. Uh, Whatever has been bothering Bogdanovich has got to resolve itself. You know, he's got this right ankle tightness, I guess, that that forced him to leave the game against the Knicks. This is the problem right now. Bogdanovich is coming off the bench because you want someone who can give you instant offense, and the Hawks like the fact that he can match up against second-unit players. But Bogdanovich, I think, is only five for his last 18 from three. So Jeez. he's got to get that going. He's Because otherwise, he does very, very little to help you. He's not going to be out there to to help you much defensively. So he's got to get that on track. You know, fortunately, Herter had a really, really good bounce-back performance on Wednesday because he's been very hot and cold. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the two guys that it really puts pressure on Tate are Brandon Goodwin and Solomon Hill. And I think Mm -hmm. Solomon Hill, you know, for what he is, has done a remarkable job. Uh, You know, he's probably been thrust into a larger role than he expected because Gallinari's Mm -hmm. been out. But sure. with with um, with Rondo out, mm-hmm. you know, Lloyd Pierce has experimented with these looks where Herter will be point guard or Reddish mm-hmm. will bring the ball up. And and I think now he's kind of seen that things do work pretty well with Brandon Goodwin. Can mm-hmm. Goodwin build off what he did a very, very good 16 minutes against the Hornets on Wednesday, this coming Saturday in Charlotte? I, I think that's the key because the, the first group, you know, Radish is struggling right now. I think he'll get that back together. The first group's doing what they need to do. They need to be getting more from their bench right now. And if the bench has a half-decent game against a cold-shooting Charlotte team, if Charlotte still didn't shoot very well, even in the win on Wednesday, I think they were only at 38%. If that second group can come in and just give you something Saturday mm-hmm. night up in Charlotte and Trey is his usual self, you'll get that split. You hope you compete against the Sixers. The, the thing that I like, Tate, is that the Hawks haven't gotten run out of the building by anyone yet. I know sure. they were down by 24 mm-hmm. to Charlotte, but they had a fourth-quarter lead in that game. In fact, I think they've had fourth-quarter leads in every game they've played this year. So they're competitive. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, expect I get, they're going to get about, run out of mm-hmm. the gym. 
Mm-hmm. And no, I, 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 I can attest to that and agree with you about that. I said that's, you know, there's games you're going to win. There's games you're going to lose. But if not nothing else, you have to be a team that looks significantly better than last year. And by doing that, you have to be able to compete, which is something that we're all kind of keeping our fingers, toes and eyes and everything else crossed that they'll be able to accomplish. Uh, and just mentioning some of the struggles that we've seen from Bogdan Bogdanovich is uh, kind of reminds me of some of the struggles we've also seen shooting the basketball from Cam Reddish as well. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned um, a few of the guys that are out uh, and are going to be out for the foreseeable future, regardless of how many games that that may be. What are you hearing in terms of when we might be able to expect some of these guys to come back at the earliest? Yeah, good question. Uh, Gallinari, I guess, is going to be reevaluated next Friday when they're still out on the West Coast. So I, usually the way this goes is <clears throat> they'll declare a guy out, they'll evaluate them. If they pass that evaluation, then they kind of go into a you know group or individual workout situation, but mm-hmm. they don't immediately come back to play. I would think Alinari is going to be out at least another, and we know at least another week, but probably beyond mm-hmm. that. Rondo, like I said, they're going to rest him for two more games. I think they're going to take him out to the West Coast, so I would imagine probably not much longer on Rondo. Dunn, I've heard that his surgery went well and he might be back a little bit sooner than, mm. than they had expected. Okay. But I don't, I don't know when that is. I mean, sure. when were they expecting? Was it March? Was it April? Mm. Was it February? Mm. I don't know. Uh, so it sounds like he's ahead of schedule, but I don't know what that means. Um, a Kongwu and Snell have both graduated to three on three. Okay. But again, I don't know what that means. means. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, okay, what does that mean? You're playing three three on three. Does that mean you could play five on five? Right. And if you can right. play five on five, does that mean you can play in a game? Is it a conditioning thing that they need to work up to? So this has been an interesting year so far, Tate, from the standpoint of injury reporting for the Hawks, because Lloyd Pierce has been more ambiguous than usual in giving us timetables for these players to return. And it might be just because he doesn't know. Sure thing. Uh, Mike Conti, obviously joining us, Atlanta Hawks commentator uh, and uh, for Hawks radio network, that is in sports radio, 92.9, the game here in Atlanta. Uh, Let me ask you this, and I'm not sure if I'm the only person who (laughs) have had some of these, I guess, alarming questions, if you will, best way I could probably put it right now. Uh, Going into the season, even more so maybe now, of the kind, which Rajon Rondo that we will see, you know, questioning if we will see the Lakers and the Celtics Rondo kind of laser focused and dialed in or more so the Sacramento Kings and Pelicans Rondo. Uh, Is there a reason for any of those type of concerns? Because we even saw earlier this season so early on that there were some off the court issues as well. And I'm not trying to dive too much into that, but do you think that he's locked in the same way that he has the other franchises? He's won championships. Well, he's, he might be locked into that level. I I don't know if he could play at the level that he played in Boston. Uh, That was so long ago. I mean, Rondo's obviously Mm. at the tail end of his career. So I, I don't know if he'll ever be able to play at that Boston level again. What I see though, Tate is Rondo being very vocal, very verbal in timeouts, very mm. verbal during games. 
to the point where I think he got admonished in Brooklyn by a referee for talking too much and being too close to the sideline when he was on the bench. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm seeing him do a lot of the same things that I saw Vince Carter do last year, okay. pulling players aside during timeouts, just body language indicating that that he might be trying to assist in, in some way, uh, not necessarily to coach, but maybe to provide ideas. Uh, and I've seen him have those interactions with Lloyd Pierce as well. And th th these are games in which he has not even played. So sure. I, I, I think he is really dialed in. I think he is really focused. And when, when he's had a few opportunities to play, I mean, we're seeing Rondo take jab step threes and throw like <laughs> underhand Harlem Globetrotter passes and stuff Just like that. Just shooting in general, Rondo. Right, right. I know. Yeah, and, and, and focused and dialed in defensively. So now, I, as of now, I don't have any of those concerns about Rondo. I understand where they come from mm -hmm. because you're right in New Orleans and in Sacramento. I mean, there's a reason why Rondo's played for a lot of different teams mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, I don't see that yet. And okay. I, I don't really expect we're going to. I, I believe him when he says that he really likes exchanging ideas with Trey Young because he feels like he can learn from Trey as much as Trey can learn from him. Good deal. Wow. Mike, my phone, email, text message, calls, everything has been blowing up with this, what appears to be a million dollar question. And I don't know uh -oh. per se if you know it, uh, but I will ask you your thoughts on it. Will and should, because I'm telling people, I don't know, but we're bringing Mike Conti on. He's going to give you his <laughs> thoughts. Will and should John Collins be in Atlanta Hawk uniform next year? Well, he's going to be a restricted free agent, so they're going to have the ability to match anything that's offered to him. Uh, sure. I, I think John can absolutely make this an easy answer for the Hawks if he continues to play at the level that we saw him play last night. Mm -hmm. If John has a interruption-free, injury-free season and ends up going 20-10 and 10 for the third straight year, 20 and 10 players in this league are max players, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, but after what happened last year, I think it was prudent for the Hawks to make John prove that he can be a 20 and 10 player again over the course of a full 72-game season. Sure. If, he, if he does, someone will sign him to as high an offer sheet as a restricted free agent can get, and the Hawks have the ability to match it. And I suspect they will be able to match it uh, and they'll want to match it. You know, the report that we saw in the athletic was that I guess it was a, a four year, $90 million offer that was on the table for him. That is a pretty strong indication in my book that the Hawks feel very strongly about John Collins, but mm -hmm. he's got to go out and he's got to prove it this year. He's got to be consistent. He's got to play a disruption free season. Uh, and if he does, he'll learn every penny of that. I, I really feel 20 and 10 players in this league are automatic max players. Yeah, that makes for a really good point. I know a lot of people have concerns that, hey, when you look up in the dictionary, uh, you know, uh, uh, max players, you, you probably the name or the face John Collins doesn't necessarily come up, but I can name a whole bunch of other players that are not giving the contribution that John Collins does on a, on a pretty consistent basis uh, that is getting that nice amount of chunk of change. About one or two uh, minutes left with you here as I have just one more question for you, Mike. we got Fran Fraschilla in the green room, so looking forward to him coming on with us, talking some college basketball. Um, last but certainly not least, this has been kind of an Achilles heel of sorts 
uh, for the Atlanta Hawks last year, specifically poor defense and three-point shooting a year ago. How much do you think that they have improved on that already, and how much uh, more room do you think they have to go? Well, prior to this three-game losing streak, I think they were third in the league in three-point shooting up from 30th. So, I mean, that right there, we know they're going to be fine. And when Gallinari comes back and when Bogdanovich gets the stuff figured out and when Reddish just gets warm, not even hot, <laughs> just warm, that, that three-point shooting, I, I'm not worried about that at all. That'll correct sure. itself. You know, defensively, I think the one area they have absolutely improved dramatically is in rebounding. I think they're, as a team, second in the league in rebounding right now, and all of that has to do with Capella, as I outlined. I think you're seeing intent and effort, which is good. You know, you're seeing Trey Young jumping into passing lanes. You're seeing Cam Reddish very active with hands. You're seeing Kevin Herter hustling on defense, hustling, trying to chase down block and and do things like that. So the intent and effort is there, and that's a big part of it. But as you know, in the NBA, intent and effort doesn't mean as much as results. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But I I think there's at least a good starting point, that the initiative is there for some of these guys who have really, really struggled defensively to be better. And for some of their stronger defenders, I mean, we kind of laughed when Cam Reddish said, that he wanted to be first-team All-NBA defensive this year, which is an unusual goal. I like to hear someone say that, though, because Mm -hmm. it shows a commitment to being a better defender. So the Hawks will benefit from that. I think Hunter has taken a big leap already from uh, year one to year two defensively. Mm -hmm. It's just going to take more time. It's going to take more time, and and part of it, too, will be matchup dependent. Atlanta Hawks commentator from WZGC-FM Sports Radio, in Atlanta, 92.9 The Game and Atlanta Hawks Radio Network, the commentator himself, dare I say, hardest working man in the business and award-winning TV and radio sportscaster, Mike Conti. Make sure that you give this guy a follow. You guys keep talking to me about Hawks. Give this dude a follow. He knows his stuff at Mike Conti 929. My good buddy again at Mike Conti 929. Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the night. All right, Tate, let's do this again. This was fun. Looking forward to it. That's Mike Conti that was joining us there and very uh, overly grateful and thankful and appreciative for uh, him to come on over and, and, and share some of his knowledge, his passion, his expertise on the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, I want to make sure that I give this somewhat of the quickest and fastest transition that I possibly can, because you know what? I've been efforting to get this dude on the show for quite some time and I got him and it's official. I see him in the green room and as I get ready, right now to have a very special treat here to the show is fran fraschilla former mwac coach of the year and college basketball studio analyst from espn find him on social media specifically on twitter at fran fraschilla that's at fran fraschilla fran thanks so much for joining me how are you Deshaun, it's a pleasure man you did track me down we had to figure out a good <laughs> schedule for me but uh I've been, to, I've been doing some games this week and traveling, yeah. and you, you got me. I'm glad to be on with you. No, I'm glad that you uh, had the opportunity to join me as well. And uh, I want to start things off. It's going to be obviously a lot of college basketball-based and quite a bit of some Big 12 as well. But I want to start off with this first and foremost. I'm curious yeah. to know who is truly, at least in the mind of friend for Schiller, maybe not what we see on the AP poll rankings for Week 7, Who is truly the third best team nationally? Because it seems like right now it's Gonzaga, it's Baylor, and it's like everybody else. 
who do you think is that third best team in the country right now, even if they don't have that number next to their name? Well, it's really funny because I would have told you, I think Villanova would have been a team that I would have mentioned among a few others. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're on a COVID, a COVID pause right now where they've had mm -hmm. to cancel three games. The team that's playing as well as anybody in the country right now, Deshaun, is, uh, is Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, Jawan Howard's team's been sensational. This kid out of DeMatha High School, Hunter Dickinson, is a seven-footer. And in an era where we, we talk about the big man being a dinosaur, not in college basketball, this, <laughs> this young man has already shown some incredible skills for a freshman. And uh, so I really like Michigan. I like Isaiah Livers. I love the job Jawan has done. A lot of people um, were skeptical of that hire because he's an NBA guy um, without a lot of, with no college experience. But when you think of first the incredible career he had, mm -hmm. uh, mostly with the Miami Heat, sure. and then you think you think a guy that made that much money, well over a hundred million dollars, decided to become an assistant coach for Eric Spolstra and pay mm -hmm. his dues as a grinder in the NBA and then gets a chance to go back to his alma mater, it's someone that's committed. And he certainly, and he's been around great coaches with Pat Riley and, and certainly Spolstra, Stan Van Gundy. So they're really good. Obviously, Iowa's really good on the offensive side. Really impressed with them. Mm -hmm. Again, Villanova, a little partial to Villanova because my son Matt is the video coordinator there. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. But uh, I, I think after the first two, and I did see Baylor play last night in person against Oklahoma. After the first two, I think there's four or five teams in that in that range that you can uh, that you can talk about, you know, potentially as uh, the third or fourth best team in the country. Maybe Wisconsin, who's awfully good this year as well, you know, another team that's uh, that's played good basketball. Yeah, and I don't know how much I'm showing my age or not, but you're talking about guys like Jawan Howard. I remember when he was playing for the Washington Bullets at that that's time, right. which that's is right. crazy to even think of now, I guess. Well, you remember, uh, I, he, he signed a big deal in Miami. I mean, he was one of those yes. first mega contracts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, I you mean, know, give him credit. But give him credit because he could be like Patrick Ewing. He could be sitting on an island somewhere, you know, sipping Mai Tais. And mm -hmm. instead, Juwan went back to his alma mater where he is doing a great job. Yeah, he went back to his alma mater, much like Patrick Ewing, Penny Hardaway doing the exact yep. same thing. At one point, Chris Mullen and I think a couple yep. other guys as well. And not to mention that Michigan's got the, uh, as currently, I think it still stands as the number one recruiting class yes. coming up for next year as well. Um, so. we, we didn't have the opportunity to uh, see Gonzaga against Baylor. Okay. Gonzaga yep. getting uh, 30, 63 rather first place votes into Baylor's one. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how much Baylor really has a case, even if you want to touch on that, but they don't, um, they don't. They, I saw, they don't. I saw, I saw Gonzaga last weekend. I called their San Francisco game. Both coaches are close friends of mine. Okay. And, and both coaches are very close to each other which is how they kept trying. You know, you know they, how, how hard they tried to get that game to be played. Yes. And, uh, no, I think Gonzaga, uh, Deshaun, is the best team in the country, clearly. In fact, I said on TV last week, I think they're going to be undefeated going into the NCAA tournament. I really do. I, I just don't think they're going to lose a game because if you think about it, going to St. Mary's and BYU this year, two tough places, are not going to be the same without – fan support so they're basically going into somewhat of a neutral environment i think they're going to go undefeated their three top players are all first team all american level when you talk about you know jalen suggs 
mm -hmm. a great freshman, Drew Timmy, the sophomore, and Corey Kispert, the senior guard. I, and I know both teams well. They are a cut above everybody. Okay, so I would imagine, is it fair to assume that had they played that game, uh, <laughs> that you would have taken Gonzaga in that game, I guess? I think so. I, I do. I, I love Baylor. They're undefeated at 10-0, and 0, and I did see them last night. I'll see them again on Saturday at TCU. I'll be calling that game. Um, but, no, I just think I think Gonzaga is a cut above. Now, Baylor's guard depth is is, is uh, really more good. so it's deep. It's deep, no doubt. Uh, and I like some of the young big guys. I want you to remember this name, Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. JTT. JTT, <laughs> but he, he doesn't like to go by that. He doesn't like that. They got a new one for him. They call him EG, EJ because okay. his, nick, his nickname is Everyday John because he brings it every day in practice. Mm -hmm. And last night I watched him. He was sensational. But I think Gonzaga is slightly better than Baylor, but it would be a heck of a game, and it would be a monster championship game if we were to get that game on April 5th. My last question to you, at least about Gonzaga and Baylor anyway, yeah. is if you're grouping Gonzaga and Baylor – and I'm putting that up against the field as it stands today. Which way would you go on that to, to cut down the nets? That is. Well, that's that, that's a good question. You know, I would probably take the field. And here's why. Okay. Um, those two teams are the best teams in, in the country. And mm -hmm. they are. They will be over the course of the regular season. Mm -hmm. But I've been around basketball enough to know that when you get to March and April and it's one and done. Mm -hmm. And especially this year. <laughs> with all the craziness, you know, with who knows what Indianapolis is going to be like. Who knows how COVID will affect sure. some of these teams, including Gonzaga and Baylor. Sure. I would probably take the field because of that. Okay. Because you can have the one bad game and get knocked out after being like Kentucky 38-0 and in 15. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Or uh, trying to think of who was undefeated going in. I know – UNLV was undefeated in 1991. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. if you're if you're that old. You remember when they mm -hmm. smacked Duke in '90, right? Yes, and then turned around. Yeah, and and with a young uh, with a freshman by the name of Grant Hill mm -hmm. to go along with Bobby Hurley and Thomas Hill and Leitner, Duke came back and won. So you know um, they're the two best teams. But if it's in a one and done situation in March, I would have a, I would have to take the other 66. You mentioned two teams that are obviously blue bloods, one being Duke, the other yeah. one being Kentucky. Over the course of the last 48 hours, I think they were in some nail-biting situations. North Carolina's yes. in that conversation with their big win over Miami the other night as well. Uh, what do you? What would you say is the biggest reason for kind of like the, the downslide, if you will, or the lack of impressiveness from what we've seen out of some of these blue blood and elite level prestige programs? It's a really good question. Um, I think with Kentucky and Duke, first of all, you have to just say that not all one and done classes are created equally. Okay. Okay. Like for every okay. Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett, one and done class. You got Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt at Duke. Good players. Mm -hmm. Good players. Mm -hmm. Sophomores now. Mm -hmm. But not in the level of an Anthony Davis, a Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, a mm -hmm. Zion. And so when you put your, all your eggs in the one-and-done basket in a given year, you're taking a chance that their inexperienced but quote-unquote talent is going to be as good as, let's say, some of these older veteran teams 
that we see year in and year out, like Villanova, like mm-hmm. Virginia, like Michigan State. Mm-hmm. You know, this year, if you look at teams around the country, and I think in the Big Ten, for example, we've already touched on Wisconsin, five sure. five fifty-year seniors. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at, at Kansas, because they're going through probation right now, or the, the potential coming up, they don't have any one-and-done guys because kids don't want to go there thinking they may go on probation. So mm-hmm. what does Bill Self have? He has a whole bunch of four-stars. And he's got 10 of them. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing, you're seeing them, you know, with a chance to be really good this year. Texas, another perfect example, yes. Deshaun. Yes. You know, those, those guys have been through the ups and downs. Shaka has. All of a sudden, Matt Coleman's a senior. Courtney Ramey's a junior. Andrew Jones is a junior. So I, I think what's going to happen to get to the backside of your question, and I'll put it this way, I honestly think you're going to see Kentucky and Duke not necessarily dip into like the top 75, top 100 range kids, although they should. I think you're going to see them taking transfers and graduate transfers in the future to augment those young one and done guys. Because next year, the NCAA rule changes and any kid can transfer and be eligible right away. And I think what you're going to see you in have, Kentucky, they're going to have to get old. They're going to have to get old and stay old. They're going to have to go. A lot of these mm-hmm. teams have done. Yeah. Yeah. And I right know. Now, I've covered. Yeah. Go. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead, Sean. Yeah. No, I've, 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 you know, been covering Georgia and Georgia Tech for quite some time. So hearing the getting old and staying old is something I've been hearing quite a bit over the course of the yeah. last few years, specifically from the head coach of Georgia Tech and Josh Pastner. We've <laughs> yeah. got Fran Fraschilla in our locker room now, former MAAC Coach of the Year, college basketball studio analyst. He covers it all in the international level. We'll ask him about that a little bit later, as well yeah. as uh, draft analysis, the whole nine. Uh, one and I mean, hey, Big 12, you know, doing yeah. beautiful, wonderful things, primarily Big Mondays, Big 12 broadcast analysts. I want to stay within the Big 12 right now and ask you about a guy who you just mentioned that goes by the name of Shaka Smart. Yes. Uh, he is one that I want to ask what type of season or postseason result do you think that he needs to have to kind of assure that job security and make sure that he can return to Austin? Because I've heard so many different rumors fluttering and swirling around about maybe being on the hot seat. Granted, he's at a program that doesn't have the exact same expectations that Tom Herman did, but what, what exactly kind of, uh, what, what exactly kind of, uh, turnout do you think on the season that he needs to have to kind of solidify that he will right. be with Well, you're in you're in SEC country, so you understand when I say this. But when a when you're coaching basketball, see, when your football team is bad, you have to be good. That's how you keep your job. Okay, because the fans need something to support, right? And in mm-hmm. Shaka's case, and I say that half jokingly, but it's kind of true. Like sure. the fact that Shaka has already had as a Maui championship this year. They won mm-hmm. it in Nashville, North Carolina. The fact that they just smacked Kansas on the road by 25. Yep. That he, I, I did the Virginia Villanova game where they, it was a one it was a one possession game in Austin. They've had, they've been very impressive this year, and I think they're going to stay impressive. I think this is easily the best team he's had. And if yeah, you got to remember this about Shaka's team. Three straight years, he lost a one and done big man to the NBA. Yes. Not not necessarily unexpectedly. But I'll say I didn't think Jared Allen was going to come out after one. We thought Mo Bamba would. We certainly didn't think Jackson Hayes was because he wasn't Mm -hmm. even, you know, the best player on his high school team. Correct. You you know, and so, like, he had some bad luck, but he's he's finally got – he's got a couple of recruiting classes that have grown up. 
and when I, I mentioned, you know, Matt Coleman and yep. and uh, and those, Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, mm -hmm. now Kai mm -hmm. Jones, a yep. kid that uh, tremendous young talent from the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg Brown, a third high school All American, having a good year. So I think I think I'll be surprised if Shaka's team is not going to have a really good regular season and then a good run in the NCAA tournament. And I think that he's already doing enough that there's no way that he won't be back as the coach. If anything, we can look back on this like we have, say, a Coach K years and years ago when they were trying to get rid of him at Duke. And you wonder, yeah. like, they really tried to fire this guy, you know? Yep. So I'm hoping that's the case with Shaka. He's one of my good friends. He's a tremendous role model. He's a great human being and they're having success. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous because he actually is able to grow his hair out and make it look halfway decent. Um, how how do you think or how should you think that the that the NCAA and those that are responsible uh, for seeding and so forth will gauge and evaluate some yeah. of these teams, uh, considering so many of them have been or consistent with you know canceling games due to covid like duke and villanova and so forth yes how do you think that that how, what how, how do you think that they will uh determine who will be seated where and even right now not even sure how do you rank a villanova and keep right. them at three and for for teams like duke who didn't play for a whole month sat in the top 25 how do you think that that should be evaluated carefully Carefully. It's going to be different this year. There's no question. You know, the power rankings probably are going to be a little less meaningful. Um, it's going to take the eye test on the part of the committee. It's sure. going to, it's going to take a team like, let's just take, let's take Kentucky for a second. Okay. Now okay. that schedule, when we look at it, is not overly powerful because Carolina is not as strong as they've been. All of a sudden Richmond struggling a little bit. Mm -hmm. But when I look at Kentucky versus a Texas tech who has lost a, uh, Houston, yep. uh, lost to Kansas, played nobody in the, out of conference, you know, uh, Stephen F. Austin maybe or Pine Bluff. Kentucky's under 500 schedule right now is tougher than Texas Tech's. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you're going to see is you're going to see some 500 teams in its field. You're going to see some teams that only play 15 games in the field. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be strange. We all know that. We expect it to be strange. We just have to hope the committee – has the good common sense to kind of evaluate everything, the eye test, the computer analytics, and just hope we can pick 68 good teams for the tournament. And again, there's going to be some squawking, uh, Deshaun, as you know, but I think we all kind of signed up for this this season. You know, like we all said, let's just have college basketball some way, shape or form. And so it's not going to be the same until we get back to normal, but I just want them to be playing in March in Indianapolis. One of the teams that you mentioned was Texas Tech, and obviously it just coming out, I think, as early as today with a top 50 kid uh, who's a freshman just coming in this year, Namari Burnett, yeah. who's, I think, originally out of Chicago, I want to say. I'm he, not is. Sure. he is. Uh, yeah, he is. Yep. Deciding to enter, I guess, the transfer portal at this yeah. point. So it'll be interesting to see exactly where he will land. A couple more minutes with you here, Fran. Really appreciate you for joining us. Yeah. Uh, college basketball studio analyst at ESPN. Give him a follow on Twitter. You see his handle there at the bottom. Um, who is the uh, final four contender maybe that nobody's really talking about right well that's now. a good one i gotta think about that i'm gonna try to think of every league in the country <laughs> you know seriously and uh i think i think by now we would we wouldn't have said texas a week ago sure 
And now, or maybe even Michigan, maybe I don't know. Yeah, not, yeah, exactly. So now, all of a sudden, if you say Texas and Michigan, you go, wait a minute. If you watch them this week, they look like Final Four teams. There's yeah. no question. And then, you know, you know, I'd have to think about that. I, I'll give you a dark horse, and I have to get completely healthy because Geo Baker has been out for a while, and then Ron Harper Jr. But I think this Rutgers team, you know, now again, it's a strange year, and mm-hmm. they're not the best team in the Big Ten, and there's probably not the second or third best, but they're in that mix. You know, what I would tell you is this, especially if you, if you, you know, filling out, how about filling out a bracket this year? Oh my goodness. Eyes closed. Eyes closed. But I would always say this, and I've said this for many years, and I think it's true this year. You take the five power conferences, really six, because you've got to count the big East, obviously. I'll give you a team that's a dark horse. that just popped into my head. Creighton. Mm, Okay. Great, great offensive team. Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock is a 40% three point shooter. Davon Mm. Jefferson, uh, Mahoney, the transfer last year, who's really good. Uh, a couple big guys inside, Chris, Christian Bishop. But but here's the point. The second, third, fourth best team in a power league, and let, let's just take the second best team out. But that okay. third or fourth best team in a power league, Big Ten, AC Clemson, mm-hmm. the way Clemson's playing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, those are the kind of teams that are the dark horse teams because, number one, they've been through the gauntlet and conference play against good teams. Yes, they have. You know what I mean? And they're tested. And they, they're not going to be backing down. You know, Clemson's not going to back down from, let's say, Kansas. Sure. In, in, in an Elite Eight game. You know, Clemson will have gone through the gauntlet of the ACC, playing Florida mm-hmm. State, Duke, you know, Virginia, et cetera. So mm-hmm. those are the kind of teams I always think are dangerous teams. And, again, I think uh, – and I'll be rooting for this guy because he's a close friend. But Leonard Hamilton deserves to go to a Final Four. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Leonard is – of course, you know, he's had some great Atlanta kids here recently. Sure. Including our guy that was the uh, uh, there was Devin Vassell. Devin Vassell, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, tremendous. But anyway, I think Leonard's team with Scotty Barnes, uh, they always have eight, nine, ten guys that can hurt you. A lot of depth, but it's always that second, third, fourth best team in a power conference that's not intimidated. Now, hopefully, you don't you don't feel like I, I, I guess what I'm gonna do now. I'm gonna put you under the heat lamp like the fries at McDonald's a little bit. I'm gonna kind of test it a little bit and try. I'm a, a Waterburger guy. I live in Dallas. Okay, yeah, Dallas, Texas. I gotta come out there and visit yeah. sometimes so we can get the Waterburger up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, again, you mentioned how such a weird year that it is. I'm looking at these conferences. Yeah. We have no way in the hell of knowing exactly who the best teams are in this. I mean, you look yeah. at the ACC. Is it Clemson, Virginia Tech? Is anybody really putting a lot of stock in that? Now, on the yeah. opposite side of that, you have a really strong conference in the Big Ten where you have yeah. so many good teams you That's may right. not know. I think Oregon may have just taken a loss earlier tonight. The Big 12 is yeah. in Texas, Baylor. You know, So you have all these different conferences. I'm just curious to know who is the best team in each of these Power Six conferences. Yeah. What better yeah. person to bring on here and ask than Grant Fraschilla? <laughs> well, I said thank you very much, uh, Deshaun. I think, um, you know, I hate to say this. I think Kansas is going to end up being the best team in the Big 12. I know it sounds crazy because of how well Baylor has played here. Um, and I'm a close I'm a close friend of all these guys, you know. But but I think Kansas followed by Baylor and Texas. But I, I, you can throw all three in a hat. If you're making me decide. And, you know, most times Kansas has been so dominant because they never lose at home. But this year it's different because when Texas went in there, there was no crowd, pretty much, you know, almost a neutral site. But uh, in the in the Big Ten, I would have to say Michigan. 
in the in the uh, Big East. I'm going to go with Villanova. And, you know, in the ACC, that's you know, I can't imagine it's going to be Clemson at the end of the day. And I don't I have great respect for Brad Brown now. He's a great sure. coach. Um, I can't give you an answer there. I don't I don't know. You know, uh, <laughs> if I had a guess, I'd probably do what everybody else does and say Duke will end up winning finding a way. Finding a way, you know, with uh, with a you know pretty good lineup with you know the sophomores who everybody thought would be gone after a year, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the SEC, I mean, I like I like Tennessee. I used to work for Rick Barnes, so I'm partial sure. to Tennessee. But then they got smacked this week, uh, you know, by Alabama, mm-hmm. who's playing good basketball. You know, LSU looks mm-hmm. like they could be really good. And then last night they skated; they just slipped by the Bulldogs. Arkansas has been pretty good. Yeah. Arkansas has been pretty good, but then they took a couple licks this week. So, uh, yeah, I'd Missouri, say, I guess, yeah, yeah, I'd say Tennessee would have to be the best team. They've got a good combination of veteran guys um, and a couple of precocious young freshmen like Jalen Springer and uh, the Johnson kid from Tennessee, who's going to be a really good Keon player. Johnson. Keon mm-hmm. Johnson, man, I love plays defense. He's got the whole package. So, um, what do you want? What do I look like? An expert? <laughs> <laughs> to me, yeah, I'd say that. I don't know, man. Don't, you don't want me filling out your bracket every day. <laughs> I, I pick all the chalk, and the chalk goes away early. <laughs> yeah, it's you funny know. how you know you get some of these people who don't watch, and they just kind of pick their favorite colors or birds or whatever else. That's what I'm doing this year. Any, yeah, any, yeah, yeah. Any red yeah. bird. If there's yeah, a red yeah. bird in the tournament, I'm taking that. Let the, let the, let the, dogs, let yeah. the dogs figure it out sometimes, <laughs> even. Uh, who, which is the mid-major team that you think uh, most likely or could uh, make Ooh. a deep run into the month of March? Maybe nobody's talking about this specific mid-major. I dare you yeah. to say St. Louis. Well, they already have some respect. Sure. But because of being ranked like at top 15 right now, sure. they, I think they climb back in. And, yes, I've seen them. Uh, that Jordan Goodwin, Ken is tough. They've got some bit a big strong kid up front. I can't think of his name right now, but they uh, Hassan French, Hassan French. Okay. Yeah, you know, but they got like seven or eight guys watching them play. I really like them. Uh, they've got another really good guard uh, from St. Louis, but I like them. But we all know about them already, so I won't sure. say them. Watch out for Boise State. Watch out for Boise. Um, they've been playing really well. Derek Alston Jr. He's really skinny. His dad played in the NBA. Um, I thought he might come out earlier but he's a senior now he's 6'11 sneaky good sneaky good i like boise's another team that i would say just keep your eye on mid-american conference nobody i can think of really that sticks out but those are a couple right off the top of my head gonna get ready i don't want to take up too much of your time we're definitely gonna get you out of here sometime really really soon former head coach of i'm good uh, man Manhattan and and uh, and uh, New St. Mexico, yeah, St. John's as well. Yep, yep, yep. We got my dude in here, Fran Fraschilla. I want to ask you this because you know I can't get you out of here. I'm sure you may have or may not have seen what the background looks like. No, I can't so tell. I'm, I got, I'm on my phone. I should have put. No you worries. No what worries. Got well, I've, I've got I've got my Sparty Nutcracker back here, my autographed basketball of Tom Mizzle, and just a couple other things sprinkled in between. I got to yes. get your overall assessment on the Spartans this year. Started out doing really well. Defense didn't look all that great. Questions at the point guard position. Yeah. Now starting out the new calendar year of 2021 and a 2-0 start, but it's the Big Ten. You're back-to-back-to-back conference champions. Everybody's yes. going to have you highlighted and circled on their calendar. 
What do you see out of Michigan State leading up to this point right now and what you think they could be like a lot of people kind of feel? I always am the one to say that Spartan fans get a little spoiled because it's like, ah, we're not worried too much about what's going on right now. March will be here before you know we'll take care of business. Right. I'm not sure if that's always going to be the case forever. What says you about Sparty right now? Well, first of all, I, I met Tom Izzo when we were both uh, in our early 20s in 1980. Mm -hmm. We've been friends ever since. And wow. I, I in fact, I texted him last night. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, Draymond Green had a great quote last night about James Wiseman. Correct. Check that out. If you haven't seen it, he explained I why did. James, it was amazing, right? And I sent it to it Tom. Was. I said, you want to see this? I actually sent it to Scott Drew at Baylor because I wanted everyday John uh, 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 Chachua, uh JTT, sure. uh, <laughs> to see it. But yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. But but it, but seriously, um, listen. I knew this last year. Rocket Watts is not a point guard. Yeah, he's a scorer. Yep. Uh, Foster Warrior is a nice player, but he's mm -hmm. he's not Cassius Winston. No That's one, one way of putting it. Sure. It is. I know it. Um, you know, some some inexperienced. I, I wanted Aaron Henry Henry to take the next stunt step in December. He did not. It looks like he may now be finally coming around. The big kids, uh, you know, the kid, the kid, the kid from right here in Dallas, Julian, uh, Julian, Julius Marble. Marble, I think is going to be terrific someday. Mm -hmm. You know, Malik Hall. So I do think uh, Joey Hauser was terrific when I watched practice last year. I spent three days up there. I think they're going to get it together. Why? Because it's 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 Sparty, mm -hmm. and there's a there's a there's a culture, there's a toughness, much like a Kansas or a Duke. And uh, I worry about some of the inefficiencies. But mm -hmm. I do think that um, the pride factor had to come out, come out over the Christmas break with those guys, and have them say, "We got to take, we got to reassess what we're doing. We got to listen to coaches all more. We got to, you know, button batten down the hatches more." The point guard thing does worry me, but I think I think they're good enough to claw into that top echelon of the league. And then, of course, they'll get into the tournament and they'll make some noise. Uh, that's that's just Sparty. Mm -hmm. So it's Getting an incomplete to, team, but yeah, now I yeah. hear the rumor. I, I know you heard the rumor too about Imani Bates yesterday. He may uh, be I, he may be reclassifying. Yeah, yeah, I've been told that uh, quite a few times. I heard it on <laughs> yesterday. I'm really interested, and you know what? I was gonna put you back on the hot seat again and ask you, if, you know, if if you thought that we would ultimately and eventually see. Um, uh, Imani Bates in a Michigan State uniform because it's crazy the way it's worked out. I'm not sure if you yeah. know this, but also another point guard named Jaden Akins that's coming in next yes. year. Yes, they were teammates uh, yep. over at Ipsy Prep, and some things didn't really go the best of ways. And yeah. now he's not on that team anymore. Now we're talking about maybe a reclassification. Right. Both of them coming in during the same year now. I'm not really sure how Tom Izzo is going to find some balance within that within itself. Well, that, so you tell me the relationship between the two kids is just shaky or? Yeah, well, yeah. from everything that I've been told, the kid yeah. got kicked, Aikens got kicked off of the team by the yeah. dad and had some words and so forth. And again, maybe speculation or my sources yeah. and everybody else I'm reading is completely wrong. One of the two. My uh, first reaction is, well, then Aikens got to go because, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I but, get it. No, I get yeah, it. Yeah. No, no, but I would say this. I'm going to give you an example. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me that Imani might want to go to college, go to Michigan State, not wait for whatever the NBA is going to do. I'm going to give you two examples. Okay. What do you know about – and these guys were 
top three in the country, top five. What do you know about Jalen Green season so far in the G League? Just ask. I can't tell you. Yeah, no, I can't tell you that. I, I know a ton. Right. We know he didn't get worse, probably. He's probably working hard, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what do we know about Jalen Suggs so far? We know a ton. <laughs> and, and Kate Cunningham. We know it's a, one of those two guys are either arguably or inarguably between number one pick or uh, certainly up for player of the year nationally, that being so. And I would say this, and this is, you know, again, I know we got to give these kids, we got to do the NIL, the name, image, and likeness, all that yeah. stuff. But yeah. I think I think Zion benefited from being on, you know, the, the, the weekly Duke TV show on ESPN. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like I said in this, if I said in December that year, before he even plays an NBA game, he's going to be worth over $100 million. And that was true. You know what I mean? And I think going to college, not that it's for everybody. Sure. Jalen Suggs and Imani Bates and those guys, Imani is going to be a brand by the time he gets to the league. That is correct. Now, Jalen Green may be a brand when he gets to the league, but it's going to take a little bit of a while because we don't know as much about him and Jonathan Kaminga, let's just say, as we do about Jalen Suggs and Eric Mobley and uh, – and uh, Kate Cunningham. Mm -hmm. So my point is, I I get Imani going to Michigan State for a year because he's going to play for a great coach. He's going to play games, and he's going to be on national TV twice a week. And it's you know it's not all bad. Two last two last questions for you here, yeah. Fran. One of them being because I know a lot of people haven't you know we're getting a chance to see more of one kid versus the other and. A lot of people don't get to see Evan Mobley. They come on late at night when they do right. come on. If you don't have right. packed to a package or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and does? then I guess who does? Oh, right. and, well, I'm one of them. But besides yeah. that, not yeah. to rub it in on anybody. Yeah, but yeah, I, like yeah. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Um, but another one is out of Oklahoma State. We just talked about him. Uh, Cade Cunningham, yeah. likely probably going to be the NBA's number one pick in the draft. What kind of treat? Do you think that viewers may be missing out on if they're not really been paying much attention to Kate Cunningham? Well, I've seen Kate three times now, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, been up to practice and know the program well because it's the Big Twelve. And uh, first of all, Kate is going to be a great NBA teammate. He mm -hmm. is unselfish almost to a fault. He has a great gift for being a great teammate. You know, he knows who needs the ball when, mm -hmm. and he's going to make sure. I'm a, and. Almost to a fault, because as I've talked to Mike Boynton about this, and I say this on TV sometimes, sometimes your best player has to take a bad shot as opposed to throwing it to a player who's not very good who takes a good shot. Mm -hmm. And he has to do that a little bit more now. He had 25 the other night in the game we did. where West Virginia. They, yeah, well, up 19 and lost, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but Kate is going to be a tremendous player. He um, He's the offensive equivalent of Marcus Smart in that, you know, um, everybody on Boston loves playing with Marcus Smart because you know mm -hmm. they know he's going to compete his heart out. And I guess um, they share the Oklahoma State ties too. Well, they yeah. do. That they do. That's why I mentioned it. They're both Dallas kids, and they both went four hours from home, turned down the Dukes and the Kentuckys mm -hmm. to go to this place in Cade's case because his brother was on the staff, Cannon. So, but Cade is like a Grand Hill type player. Sure. That's that's kind of one of the examples I give to people. He kind of reminds me of Grand Hill. He reminds me in his body a little bit of Jimmy Jackson. Okay. You know, he reminds me a little bit of a guy I coached at St. John's. He's a little bit calmer than Ron Artest, Metta World Peace, mm -hmm. but he's got that same kind of locomotive body. Mm -hmm. um, but now Jalen Suggs, 
To me, that's Chauncey Phillips. Okay. That's a young Chauncey Phillips. I had one guy tweet me the other day and say, well, he's more athletic than Chauncey Phillips. I said, yeah, well, Chauncey's 44 now. (laughs) (laughs) But Chauncey was the number three pick in the draft for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so Jalen reminds me of Chauncey because Jalen Suggs is a two-way player. He's got, you know, Chauncey would, when Chauncey was in his prime, was he a point guard? Was he a two? Was he a combo? Or was he just a guard? Like Mm -hmm. the guys I grew up with. Big guard. Yeah, Oscar Robertson, you know, Walt Frazier, guys like that. Um, And defensively, Jalen is a killer. Um, So, and Eric Mobley to me is Chris Bosh. Okay. I don't think he's Kevin Durant because I saw Kevin Durant as a freshman at Texas. And there aren't a lot lot like him. But I'll Uh give you Chris Bosh on Eric Mobley, which isn't bad. That's a likely Hall of Famer. My last question for you, Fran, is – Give me your best or your most memorable off the court that can be shared on air Bill Walton story that maybe nobody's ever heard. I've been Uh, waiting to meet this guy for like ever and bring him on the podcast. I'm going to get to it one day, but I got to figure this one out. Let me tell you something about Bill Walton. I went to to Maui two years with him and did the second set of games. Okay. And the Maui Invitational was sponsored by Maui Gym Sunglasses. Uh-oh, now, I can only imagine at this point. So, yeah. Now, I didn't realize. My wife said, hey, these Maui Gyms are worth like $200 a pair. Don't be, <laughs> don't be sneezing at this stuff when they start handing them out to you. So, we did a promotion at the Maui Gym headquarters in Maui. And, of course, Bill was there. Mm-hmm. And he is incredibly gracious. Like, he... He mentioned Maui Jim sunglasses 300 times on TV during the week. And he just has a zest for life. Mm. What I would tell you about Bill Walton that a lot of, I want your younger listeners to know, and because he is a great guy. Now, listen, there's, there's sometimes when I'm watching the game, I got to kind of turn the sound down. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you know, if it's, if it's more than once a week, I go, oh boy, here we go. We're going to learn about the cacti of the Arizona desert, right? Or bike, or bike trails in Spokane, right? And so, but you may know this, but to me, and I've been watching basketball since 1970. I'm 62 now. To me, Bill Walton is one of the three greatest college players to ever play basketball. That is correct. I would say Kareem. I didn't see Russell at San Francisco, obviously. Michael was not Michael. We all know that. You know, I think Bill Walton and Kareem. I say Kareem one, Walton two, and I might be, you know, I I didn't see Russell, so I can't really speak to that. But the guy was an amazing player if he wasn't if he didn't get hurt. Man, he's he's one of the all time greatest players ever, minus the injuries. I always enjoy that commentary and I I get in. I get into a good, uh, a, a, a good spot on the sofa when I when I'm up late night. It's only perfect to have them on for those Pac-12 games. You know, that's when you really appreciate them. <laughs> when you watch the whole bunch of serious games that day. Yes. And it's late at night. Yeah. Whether it's a diet coke or a glass of wine, and you're listening to Bill, and you're telling your wife, "Did you hear what he just said?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. But, that's he, but he loves he loves the game and he loves the kids. And I had a son play in a game he did, um, and he asked every kid on the team about his family, where they were from. He knew everything about the kids. He doesn't use all the material because mm-hmm. he's got other he's got other shtick, but he does his homework. Yeah. And 
because of him, I came home with about 10 pairs of Maui Jim sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> So, love Bill Walton, man. Love yeah. him. And love Fran Fraschilla as well. Thank you so much, Fran. Former MAAC Coach of the Year. Listen, St. John's head coach, Manhattan yeah. head coach, New Mexico head coach, current college basketball studio analyst, does a lot of uh, international. Uh, by the way, just real quick, real quick. I'm yeah. going to get this out of the way a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Who is the who? Every year in the draft, there's an international yeah. name. He's he's skyrocketing up the chart. Yeah. Who's the guy for the upcoming draft? Uh, not not to be determined yet, like it was with Luka Doncic, where we knew two years in advance. But uh, a young man that plays in Spain uh, for Real Madrid. He played with Facundo Campazzo, who just okay. who just joined the Denver Nuggets. So you're gonna love watching. Uh, but his name is uh, uh, Garuba. Um, Isman Garuba, he's a big, strong, athletic kid, G-A-R-U-B-A, kind of a Bam out of bio type. Okay. That kind of athlete. And uh, he's likely to, he'll definitely be a first round pick, likely to be the top pick, but it's early. There'll be four or five more guys this year like there were last year, but no Luka Doncic for a while. Although uh, there's a young man in France, Victor, I'm going to say the name wrong. He's 16 years old. Wembayana. He looks like the Ralph Sampson from the YouTube videos. He's seven foot three, handles the ball like a guard. And wow. By the way, it just reminded me one more thing. If Ralph Sampson had come out in this era, he'd be, he'd be a two guard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is, a, dude, that is incredible. Because we, we didn't realize what we could do with big guys back then. Oh, no, have, for sure. We didn't have a stretch big. We put Ralph in the post and he hit his little jump hooks, but could yeah. handle the ball. So anyway, the game is changing thanks to the international kids coming over here. Exactly. I definitely yeah. feel the same way and seeing that the NBA is kind of, you know, transitioning towards uh, that brand or that way, that style of basketball. Yeah. It's my dude right here, man. I can sit here and do this all night long. Give him a we'll follow again. on Twitter. Yeah, we'll absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Give him a follow on Twitter at Fran Fraschilla. Fran, thanks so much for coming on. Looking forward to the next time. And we got to hook up over some Whataburger when I come to Dallas or when you, you come to Atlanta. Where I'm going to have to I'll take you to uh, one of the special clubs out you take, here. You take me to the varsity, I'll be a happy man. Sounds I'll, good unless to me. You get, unless you can get me those lemon pepper wings. But uh, we'll go. <laughs> can I? Can <laughs> I? But I can't go into places like that. You take me to varsity, I'll be a happy man. We'll get them to go. Okay. All right. Okay. Sounds good. That's Fred Fraschilla. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, glad that he had a chance to come on. Uh, college basketball studio analyst from ESPN. Overly grateful and thankful uh, that he came on and shared some of his knowledge and his expertise, his passion, college basketball. Now you see, you guys see why I love this stuff so much. You know, it's just, it's it's a way of life uh, to an extent. So, um uh, before we get up out of here, we're going to do this again. I think we'll have Dan Dockich on tomorrow morning. I have to wait and confirm that. Uh, but uh, we will definitely see uh, exactly if that's going to take place. Remember to follow on social media on Twitter to find out exactly if that will be uh, a barbecue or if that will be a mildew. At Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. Hashtag where basketball lives. Also, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the podcast. You never know who you're going to get here on this podcast. Earlier today, you got Fran Fraschilla and uh, and Mike Conti. want to thank them both for joining the show on today. Anywhere you find your favorite podcast, 
Uh, that being Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle, Stitcher, streaming live on Facebook, streaming live as well on YouTube. And um, just want to uh, thank everybody who have subscribed already. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your mama, tell your grandmama, tell an enemy. Make sure that you go and subscribe. Follow us anywhere and everywhere that you can on social media, um, as well as leave us a rating. You know, leave us one up to a five star rating. Leave us a comment as well. Uh, that's always accepted. Don't, you know, save it for the local sports bar and don't save it for the local barbershops. You always can uh, hear your opinion um make your opinion here rather known uh and always have a place here on the show at tate's take hoops where basketball lives i'll see you guys sometime within the next 24 hours in the event that we do have a chance to get uh dan docket on so keeping our fingers crossed toes crossed eyes crossed everything until then um we'll see you guys then later <laughs>